Episode 38 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler. I forgot my name there for a second. I was distracted by all this fancy new equipment that makes us sound awesome. More of that in a second. And I'm joined today with Pete DeMeo. Hey, everybody. And Misha Bokikio coming to you in stereophonic sound. Hello, hello, hello. All right, so we decided we were going to grow up. I, we or you, Negative. I've never made that decision Negative. personally. Not really grow up just from a podcast quality of sound perspective. So what we did was we invested in some fancy new microphones, some pop guards, uh, soundboard, all kinds of fancy equipment. There's at least 30 or 40 knobs and whatnot on our soundboard. Yeah, so I know, know what serious. three of them do. And that is turn on each of the three mics that we're using today. Uh, so hopefully you guys appreciate this at home. This is a little bit awkward. I'm my neck is crooked right now as I'm talking to you. Yeah, I think the next thing we need to get are those little booms. Yeah, the boom uh, stand things. That would be very helpful. But, you know, we don't want to lose the um, folksy feel of this podcast. I was talking to um, Glenn Hausman this past week. He's the uh, podcaster that puts out the No Vacancy podcast, which you should definitely check out if you're in the hotel industry. It's awesome. And he said he loved our podcast because it was like we were just sitting around a campfire and chit-chatting which is what we try to do and it's pretty much how we operate here at fuel so except for the campfire part we do not suggest ever having fires inside of buildings mm, controlled fire preferably with s'mores yeah. i'd be yeah. fine with well we tried it one time and the fire department came so true story true. yeah <laughs> <laughs> whoops uh but today we are going to be talking about what is the year 2017 it is the year of what misha would say the year of the cat or wine or wine when the Chinese calendar is the year of the guest, and that's really what we want to focus on. Is it officially in the Official? Chinese calendar? I, think, <laughs> I believe that. I think you have just offended about two billion people. <laughs> but yeah, we here at Fuel do believe that every year there's somewhat of a theme, and this year we have deemed it the year of the guest. And there's a lot of reasons that we think it's that, and we'll get into that in more detail. Uh, last year, I felt like for a lot of folks, it was the year for direct bookings and that battle you know, between OTAs and, and hoteliers, perhaps a year before, or maybe even two years before that, it was a year of mobile, you know, we hit mobile tipping point. But this year, fuel, we really feel like this is the year that hospitality takes front and center again, and, and we host our guests, and it becomes really, truly the year of the guest again. So we're going to get into some of the things that why we think that. But before we do, like always, let's jump into what's going on in the news. All right, well, the first news item we have today comes from Business Times, and it is titled, Priceline Founder Raises $50 Million for a New Venture. And all throughout 2016, we talked about how the OTAs were in a constant state of flux as they jockeyed for a position to, to get the guest. And what this article says is the age of everyone just acquiring as many companies as they can might be moving to the back burner as they work on building new websites and new you know, revenue sources. So in this article, it talks about Jay Walker, who was the founder of Priceline. He's raised over $50 million for a new website called Upside.com. And it is basically another OTA type site. And the unique identifier for Upside is you basically tell them where you want to go and it does basically the rest. So it will give you several hotel choices. If it finds a better deal 
maybe 10 miles away from where you want it to go, it will let you know about that also. So it's more of an optimization plan for a person going on a vacation. Being that it's Jay Walker, obviously Priceline was an incredibly successful company. You really have to take this one pretty seriously. Have mixed thoughts about this just because I feel like the space is already so crowded and we're starting to see a ton of consolidation. So just the fact that they're branching out again with something new and you know you expressed what their unique value proposition was, but to me it doesn't sound all that unique. I don't think it's something that you couldn't find on another OTA site. So I don't really get it. Yeah, he's trying to make raise money, so he's trying to spin it as best he can and make it sound like mm -hmm. it's really cool and innovative. But I, 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 I'm like with Misha, I don't see the differentiation really in, in what a lot of other folks are trying to do. So, but I wouldn't back a bet against him. You know, yeah, he'll probably there, you raise know the money. There's going to be a massive amount of advertising dollars and funding mm -hmm. put behind this. So, you know, what's already a big company, you know, I, I think they're looking for just basic ways, but more hooks in the water. Yeah, and ultimately what he's trying to do is what everyone in this space does, which is I'm trying to build a new brand and compete with the big guys so that the big guys come and buy me and I make bazillions of dollars. You know, that's that's what every other startup has done in this industry over the last five years. What's next? I have an article for everyone from tnews.com. And this one intrigued me because we just wrapped up a travel trend study for 2017 that you can expect within the next week or two. We're wrapping up um, just the design of it. It'll be a downloadable piece of content, but then we'll also have it on the podcast. But this was titled, What are the Trends of Trip Planning Site Users? Kind of an awkward title. But it used data from triphobo.com, which I admittedly have not checked out yet because I've never heard of them, but I'm curious to see what their site is all about. But they did um, and released a study that basically shared some of the top trends for 2017 and some of the top user behaviors for their website. So if you click out from the article, it leads to um, a very large and very well-designed infographic. So just kind of scrolling down um, some of the information that you might find useful to have um, a traveler outlook so it looks at some of the top things people are looking to do interestingly 36 percent of people are looking for offbeat experiences i think this is something we've seen a lot with um sites like airbnb offering a really deep dive into local experiences so just things that you can't do everywhere i thought that was um something that was interesting to see on there we also have destinations to look forward to in 2017 cork was an emerging destination which i've never heard of new orleans was on there glad to see them on there um, a few other places they had top countries who planned diy trips they have most traveled destinations um, how was the 2016 traveler just a lot of really good interesting data i feel like some of it might perhaps be skewed by who uses this particular website but i always think you know trends and diving into that kind of stuff is interesting so definitely take a look it does look like this site is, or at least the data, is more experiential type travel, mm -hmm. DIY trips, offbeat experiences, people looking for something other than the regular hotel type type experience. Yeah, but, I, you know, that's a market that's expanding all the time. And, you know, when I travel, typically I'm, I'm not looking for an adventure. It's, it's There's a purpose, right? It's business travel. Or it's with my family and we're going to see people or we're going to a park or whatever it is. But I think there's an ever-increasing number of people that are just looking for something different and looking for the unexpected. And we'll touch on that in a little bit when we talk about the sharing economy. 
Um, so that wraps up the news. So let's jump right into our main topic today, which is, you know, 2017 being the year of the guest. Really, every year should be the year of the guest if you're in the hotel industry. It should be every day. It should. But, you know, I, I feel like what's happened, though, is technology's come in and people have gotten to where automation is a, you know, real thing, gotten to where they're really hurting cows in and out of their hotels and they're treating people like a number or, or an email address and they're not talk, treating them like an individual. And really the technology today should be helping us do a better job serving individuals versus just making it easier for us to mass market or blanket market to people. So you look at whether that's um, personalization on websites, you know, is, is obviously on the increase. Personalized messaging and emails, things like that is on the increase. But there's a lot of other factors that really at the core of them, they are about the guest, even if on the surface they don't. So kicking this off, number one, and I will say we're going to do this in two parts. So this is this is part one, episode one of a two-parter, I guess, on this same topic. So we're going to do three today, and then later this week we're going to record the second episode, and we're going to do the last two. So the first one is the battle for direct bookings rages on. And earlier we said that 2016 was really the year for the direct bookings. And this is a battle that really is... at, at at the end of the day is really about the guests, right? Because it's about who owns and controls the guest. And, you know, we did a whole episode on this. We did, uh, I think it was episode 18, which you can go to fueltravel.com slash podcast, click on episode 18 and see that. But in, in that episode, we talked about how Expedia and Priceline had done a really good job of uh, consolidating. You know, they bought out all of their competition. So if you look at the Expedia side, they, they bought Orbitz, Travelocity, um, created Travago, um, Hotels.com, and then on the on the Priceline side, they've gone out and they you know they own Kayak, obviously Priceline.com, Booking.com. So really, all the major players, with I'd say maybe the exception of a small a few smaller ones like Bookit, perhaps, are owned by one of these two main groups. And the reason they went out and did this isn't because they wanted to eliminate competition, is because they wanted to control the guest. You know, it's all about owning the data, owning the the email address in the booking history of the guest. So that that's kind of why they went out and did that. And you know, you the news article you were saying earlier is this consolidation is not going to continue, but I, I you know, I beg to differ. So let's I mean let's look at the other side of this equation, which is TripAdvisor, they've gotten into this industry in a big way. Not, they're no longer just synonymous with reviews, but they've also become a meta search and an OTA, right? Yeah, I mean, TripAdvisor really has set themselves up as somewhat of a battleground where the OTAs can compete against the direct bookings on the hotel, but they're also forming their own platform and ways where they become an OTA you know, to themselves. So it makes it very tricky for kind of where they fit in as a competitor you know, as an ally, as a platform. You know, and where I think they did a really smart job of this was they kind of focused on the content first. So they have tons of reviews, tons of information about hotels, and then they kind of added the the paid part later into this, the OTA part later into this. So I think they're a huge competitor, not just from an OTA perspective, but even if you're looking at things like competing on a hotel level for natural search, you know, TripAdvisor has a ton of weight behind it now. So that's huge. Yeah. So, you know, my personal opinion is that 
they're trying to get rid of the the third parties, right? They would rather have a direct relationship with the hotels. This is why they've created the instant booking platform. You know, obviously, uh, the meta search side with with uh, TripConnect is still going strong, but they're really put, doing a big push towards instant booking. So they want to cut out the OTAs and become that, you know, get the bigger percentage of the revenue. So obviously Expedia and Priceline are sitting there watching this and there's not a lot they can do because like you said, the content is winning the battle. If you if you do a Google search for any major destination hotels, so Austin hotels, Myrtle Beach hotels, doesn't matter. Nine out of 10, TripAdvisor is gonna be number one in anything. And then when you search for the individual brands, like Misha said, TripAdvisor is gonna be right below the actual brand site. So TripAdvisor's already kind of won the battle. So I would imagine that in the next 12 to 24 months, that there's a good chance one of these other guys are going to come and try to buy TripAdvisor. I can definitely see that happening. And, and, you know, honestly, my money would probably be on Priceline at this point. They tend to spend a little bit more. When you look at what they paid for uh, OpenTable, they definitely are willing to spend a little bit more than something that's worth if they feel like it's a good long-term investment. Yeah, and, you know, TripAdvisor is not going to let it go for cheap either. That's a when – you, when you started looking at TripAdvisor years ago – it always had a fantastic return on investment because it was the last pe- place people looked. They go to go to the OTAs, find a rate, and then go to TripAdvisor to see if the hotel is worth booking. And we're seeing that change obviously now, where TripAdvisor is, you know, one of the beginning places as well. But with the market penetration they have, with the search rankings that they have, if Priceline or whomever would go in and try to buy them, that would be a massive, massive amount of money. Do you think we could see a rogue player like Airbnb try to come in and swoop up TripAdvisor? Or do you think that would just make no sense? I don't think they have the pocket. Yeah, I, I think the, the capital's not there. They'd mm-hmm. have to have deep, deep pockets to, to buy someone like TripAdvisor. Yeah, really, if TripAdvisor kept growing, they could potentially turn around and, and make a hostile takeover from one mm-hmm. of these other guys. I don't know. But I, speaking of Airbnb, I think they're right for a takeover too. I think someone's going to come and try to buy them at some point. But so those are some of the players. The other player that we can't discount is Google, right? Google has always been uh, keen on the travel space because it makes them a ton of money on AdWords. But they've been, you know, trying Google hotel ads for three years now at least and, and really struggled. It's been very anemic. Those of us that have used it have just not been overly excited about the results. It, it has some success, but it has a long way to go. But in the last 12 months, we've seen that Google's really put in a lot of effort into making the tools on the back end a lot better, uh, and as well as making the front end more prominent, You know, putting it higher in the SERP, stuff like that. So Google's also in this battle trying to own the guest. They're, they're trying to disintermediate the OTAs and the TripAdvisor of the world as well, and competing really, again, with the brands for who owns the guest. Yeah, I think this is a messy space for Google just because we've talked about in the past how much sheer cash flow they get from OTAs and hotels and other travel advertisers. So they certainly don't want to cut off that stream of revenue. But this is, I mean, it it makes total sense for them. And it's as an advertiser and a user, it's been frustrating just because their user interface from a back end perspective isn't the best. We haven't seen you know the best results when you compare it to something like adwords and then just as a traveler myself i've used the tool i haven't ever been super satisfied with it but then i compare it to something like google flights which i absolutely love and use all the time 
I'm kind of struggling to see why they can't quite figure it out. And I think they're making it better. And I think we will see a continued testing, you know, the layout, where they're presenting this, where they're pulling the rates from, you know, they're going to make it better. They're going to eventually figure it out. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. When I, if you asked me six months ago, I was really thinking that HPA was going to turn into the Google plus of the hotel industry where it was, it wasn't very well adopted. It wasn't well used. It was, it was kind of a flop December and into November a little bit. They've made so many changes to where specifically on the hotel side, looking at the return on ad spend that our hotels are getting, it was a real definite uptick in performance to where before it was kind of always on the chopping block, November and December for, I would say, a majority of our clients looked much different. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if that holds, though, as, you know, a lot of our clients tend to be, you know, we have some that the peak season is November, December, you know, ski destinations, things like that. But a lot are resort destinations. And as we get into a busy season for those, is is the ROI going to hold? Yeah, well, and what was interesting is that ROI compared to the change or of the ROAS of other similar platforms. So if you look at what those hotels were getting on TripAdvisor, if you look at what they were getting on a regular PPC campaign, the change was happening on the HPA side. Yeah, for sure. So obviously no one's going to come in and buy Google. That That's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but as a hotel, you know, it's in your interest to own the guest. You want to make sure that wherever the relationship starts, whether it's through Google, whether it's through an OTA, whether it's through TripAdvisor, at the end of the day, you're the one that hosts them. They come to your property. They don't go to Expedia's property or Hotels.com's property. They come to your hotel. So what what are some things that we can do as hoteliers to make sure that the guest is front and center in the discussion and that we own the hearts and the minds of that guest? Well, I'd say for starters, no matter how big your property is, you're going to have a hard time competing and beating the OTAs. So what do you do? You embrace them and you use that as a tool for new business generation. Allow them to use the OTAs for the first booking. But when you get that person on your property, that is your turn to take that sale and turn it into an in-house guest. So that's that's critical. You know, so making sure you're communicating with that guest while they're on the property, really making them feel special and understand that a booking direct is a better way to go. You need to also make sure that you're listening to the feedback during that guest stay, you're understanding what they need, and you're putting out that real personal touch. I mean, this, like you said, it is the year of the guest. If you really over-deliver in terms of guest satisfaction and guest interaction, then you're going to take that person from being an OTA customer to a hotel customer. Absolutely. And I think one thing that is very crucial and that some bigger hotel brands have done a fantastic job at is really communicating the benefits of booking direct. A lot of people don't understand that it is better to book direct and you need to make that crystal clear. So if you're looking at brands like Marriott and Hilton, they have in the past 12 months rolled out huge multi-channel campaigns campaigns that tell you it pays to book direct and stop clicking around. And they're doing a really good job of that. And it's not just on the rate side. Yes, you can get the best rate by booking direct and you should communicate that. But also think of other creative ways that you can, you know, really reward your direct bookers. So that might be as simple as some, you know, something that you get upon check-in, a bottle of water or a cookie or whatever, or it might be just exclusive perks like a discount at the hotel bar, whatever it might be, just something to thank that person and let them know that there is value to booking direct versus through an OTA. 
Yeah, no question. All right, so that's kind of number one in our list of why we think it's the uh, year of the guest. Let's jump to number two now, and that is the sharing economy. And the sharing economy is something that we've all in some form or fashion, uh, I think, interacted with or been exposed to. You know, I've become a fairly regular user of, of Uber, especially when I go out of town. Um, I use Kickstarter or I invest in Kickstarter quite a lot, crowdfunding kind of stuff. You've got things like change.org where it's sort of sharing economy, but it's it's an online version of um, people vocalizing whatever their issues are. But wherever we look, there's some form of crowdsourcing, sharing economy going on. And certainly transportation is probably the biggest, but right behind that is is probably accommodations. And, you know, the big players being Airbnb, VRBO, uh, we did a whole podcast on Airbnb and how they're disrupting the industry. But when we look at Airbnb and we think about, you know, their size, the scale and what impact they're having on the hotel industry, to put it in perspective, Airbnb has about 2 million units. You know, we know that Hilton, since they acquired Starwood, combined with Starwood, Marriott has, um, did I say Hilton? I'm not sure, but it is Marriott, okay. Starwood. Marriott and Starwood. Uh, combined have 1.1 million units, you know? So so Airbnb is, is a big player in this space. So why why would one choose to use Airbnb versus uh, a traditional hotel, you know? Some of it comes back to what you guys were saying earlier with the experience, you know, people are looking for an experience. But there's also a cost savings oftentimes. People look at the value from the price perspective. They're looking at sometimes, especially on the Uber side, there's an environmental savings. But I think it does ultimately come down to experience. People are looking for something a little different. They're engaging with the host when they're there. So they're just looking for something that's a little more unique, right? So hotels obviously have an opportunity to compete with this. They don't have to just sit idly by and watch market share be taken up by folks that are becoming professional Airbnbers. Because really, when you become a professional Airbnber, that takes away from the original intent and the spirit of airbnb right you're not staying with someone else and learning about their lives in learning about their cats and their wine misha <laughs> looking at you but you know it, it's it's becoming more of a commodity like a hotel so what are some things some hotels can be doing uh in this space to really combat it and, and again focus back on the guest that's really looking for an experience so the first thing that you should definitely be doing is focus on your on-site amenities. This, a lot of times, is something that an Airbnb property simply can't compete with. So whether that's you know an on-site water park or a really great on-site restaurant, you know a gym, a pool facility, a spa, whatever your hotel offers, you need to make sure that's front and center, not only on your website, but through all of your marketing channels and really having really high quality photography, um, doing some virtual tours or some videos of all these just to make sure that you're presenting it in the absolute best light possible. Again, this is really an area that a lot of times Airbnb can't compete on. Another tip we have is to really sell the rooms. This is the one of the most important pages on your hotel website. People really want to know the rooms. They want to know they're clean. They want to know the layouts. They want to know every single thing, how many, you know, out the location of the outlets to, um, you know, anything special about the decor. Maybe you're using local artisans to design an artwork in the room. Whatever really makes your property unique and that you integrate that into your rooms, you should be selling that. I mean, really let people know this can be your home away from home as well. 
it really comes down to like you said it's differentiating yourself from from the competition not just airbnb but other properties in your area to show your personality offer something unique a lot of hotels especially uh you know folks like a loft that tend to skew a little younger demographic they're doing a lot of neat uh entertainment on property i stayed in a loft in greenville south carolina a few months ago Every night I was there, they had a band down in the lobby next to the bar. It was really cool, and and there were it was packed. There was a lot of people buying very overpriced drinks. The whole well, that night. was exactly yeah. when we went to the Internet Summit. I've talked before about the Marriott that we've stayed at. They had a really cool open concept hotel bar area that had probably very overpriced drinks. But we went every night before bed. We went and had a little nightcap and met some other people that were in town for conferences. It was really fun, and they did a good job of communicating that on their website as well. Yeah, it, it, it's so convenient to have those amenities on site. Mm-hmm. And if you remember that Airbnb was born out of a vacuum where the hotels were not really in tune with their guest needs. We talked about 2017 obviously being the year of the guest. Well, this could be the year where the hotels wake up a little bit more and start crawling back that market share that Airbnb has taken with doing things like you just said, Stuart, where you, you focus on you know, what your property can do that a Airbnb cannot, Misha, to your point, making sure that they understand your amenities no matter how great an Airbnb property might be, they're not going to have a 1,500-foot lazy river. They're not going to have all those great things like the in-restaurant or in-hotel restaurant and bar. That's where you can you know, make a difference as long as you can connect with that guest and give them the feeling of being at an Airbnb where they're welcomed and taken care of but with all the amenities of a great hotel. Sure, and a lot of times people stay at Airbnb because it does offer something unique. So take that same perspective, what's unique about your hotel and how can you showcase that? And we actually have a podcast, episode 27, that we chat all about Airbnb and what your hotel can learn from them. So you should definitely check that out as well. Yeah, and I'll I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, I I think what's happening though is people are missing the boat on on why Airbnb and the sharing economy in general is is so popular. And so many people, especially in the hotel industry, are focused on this magical millennial word. You know, they they think that all these people are special because they were born between certain ages. And they're missing the point. It's not about when people were born. It's about the society that we're living in today. And, And we are living in a very connected society, in a society where... We share literally everything we do on social media. And so the sharing economy has really been born out of that. So it's it's not a surprise when people are looking for experiences to share with their connected world why Airbnb is successful. It's not because they're, you know, 29. It's because this is how they live their lives. And I could be 67 in living that way. It just, you know... Obviously, younger people are more early adopters, so it skews towards millennials. But really, you shouldn't worry about the age of the guest. You should worry about how they're behaving. And offering unique, valuable experiences on property is the way that you're going to win back the hearts and the minds of these types of guests. You want to hear a funny story? Always. So I just got back from New Orleans. I hope everybody missed me. I'm happy to be back. But... When I was there, it was so interesting to me to hear how my mom has changed perspective on things. So I take Uber all the time. Um, Lyft, I took it in Charleston. It's slowly coming into smaller markets. I've taken it in New York before. But before, my mom was like super against Uber, just didn't think it was safe, just couldn't wrap her head around the concept, was like team take a cab. But then going there this trip, the first thing she said was, yeah, let me know when you grab an Uber from the airport. 
Yeah, it's it's become part of the vernacular. You know, people at taxi cabs are in trouble. They yeah. really are. I don't think your mom wanted to pick you up from the airport. My mom doesn't have a car. That's why she couldn't pick me up from the airport. You should have told her to book you an Uber on her app and tell you. Uh, yeah, I should have. Yeah, that was on, the you price the gouging flight. in New Orleans, man. Let me tell you, $33 to go a couple miles. I was a little salty, but that's fine. Hey, but you got to see your mom, right, for her I birthday. Did, I did. And you got to see your Tigers win. Boo. I did. And you're wearing purple today. Thanks. Yeah, it's not in your honor. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's the so the sharing economy. We definitely feel like that's another piece of the puzzle of why it's, again, it's about the guests taking care of what they really want to see and experience. Um, so we talked about one being the, uh, the book direct, again, trying to own the guest and own the data. That's really, really important. This is more about owning the aspiration and, and the desire to travel. Uh, so let's jump into number three on our list, and this will be the final one today for part one, but this is the technology side. And really, we're in a year where technology is taking over our lives in, in more ways than we can, could have imagined even a few years ago. So obviously, we've talked a lot on this uh, podcast about technology in the past. We've, we're a bunch of nerds, but it's been surprising to me. I know Amazon Echo, as an example, has been out you know almost three years now, but it really seems to now be hitting critical mass. Like I try to buy some for family and friends for Christmas, and I could not find them anywhere. And I, I've had mine for seven or eight months now. I know Pete, you've had yours for a little while, mm-hmm. and um, you know I love it. I, I couldn't. I can't imagine a life without my Amazon Echo anymore. I could use it to control. You know, obviously listen to music and timers when I'm cooking, but controlling lights and thermostats. And, you know, we're really living in an age where everything can be controlled by a smart device. And hotels are really beginning to embrace this. If you look at like Wynn Las Vegas, um, they have started installing echoes in every single room in their hotel, in thousands and thousands of rooms, right? You look at a loft has been, um, they've been testing in certain markets voice controlled blinds and thermostats and stuff like that and it's really getting to the point where if we have this technology at home and we end up going and staying in a hotel are we not going to feel like we're getting you know shortchanged a little bit if we don't have the same you know luxuries that we have in our own house at a hotel that we're paying several hundred dollars a night for and people are already traveling with a fire stick in their luggage as just part of you know a normal travel tip which I think is really cool. You toss it in your, your bag, you plug it into the back of a hotel TV. You know, hotels need to understand that. People expect that. And, you know, when you see, you know, people like uh, Aloft and other ones having, you know, a Netflix-enabled TV, let's say, or, you know, access to, you know, whatever type of, you know, video streaming platform that you're using where you can log in and watch it right there. I mean, that's going to make people feel more at home at the property. Yeah. I mean, one of the things for me, I tra- you know, I travel to trade shows and, and stuff, and there's a lot of time, just dead time in my hotel room where I'm catching up on email. And I just, when I'm at home, I don't flick through channels like I used to. You know, I put on whatever my latest binge watch is, and I have that on in the background. And I really miss that when I'm traveling. And, and, and the last two hotels I've stayed at when traveling, we've actually they've had Netflix and I've really, really felt more comfortable. I've had a better experience Mm -hmm. just from simply having Netflix in the hotel room. So we're not saying you have to go and invest thousands and thousands of dollars in every unit in your property to put Nest thermostats and Alexa, you know, Amazon Echoes, but start small, start by thinking about what does the guest expect 
and start investing at every hotel by the end of 2017 should have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime as a default. That doesn't cost you a whole lot of money. That's something you should absolutely do. And more and more, like you mentioned more and more, people are used to controlling things with their voice. You know, be it the lights, the shades, the temperature, whatever it is. Here's a cheesy kid story. Our daughter got a magic eight ball for Christmas. And the first thing she did to get it to work was speak to it like it was Amazon Echo or the <laughs> device. And she was so frustrated when she's like, eight ball, will this happen? <laughs> or whatever it is. And then she'd wait and look at it and then wouldn't give her the right answer. And she was so frustrated that... You know, this old she piece had of to move her arms. 19th or 20th century junk wasn't <laughs> doing what she wanted it to do. Did anyone so. else feel like we're getting towards Wally the movie? Like everyone's going to be sitting around in, in little motorized cars and not doing anything for ourselves because the machines will do it all for us. Yes, 100 <laughs> percent. Yes, and I have a perfect Wally impression. Go for it, Wally. That's pretty good. Sounds even better on a new sound equipment. I bet it does. So yeah, technology is a big deal. And, and I think, again, this comes down to the guests because it's what they expect. It's what they're used to at home. Uh, you know, so many people I know have either Google Home or Amazon Echo or they're using Siri in some way to control devices within their house. This is becoming the norm. And at some point, just like Wi-Fi took a little while to take off in hotels, but now it's it's a utility that everyone expects. You don't go to hotels and find that they don't have Wi-Fi. It just doesn't happen anymore. I don't right? think I would stay at a hotel if they did not have Wi-Fi. No, there's no way. There's no way. I wouldn't be able to plug my computer into a wired connection. I don't yeah. ha- I don't think I even have the Cat5 plug on my computer. Yeah, I don't so. either. So, uh, you know, I think just like Wi-Fi, things like Netflix are going to become another commodity that is expected in the hotel room. So hotels need to embrace this. And in... You know, when we're looking at technology, it's not just in-room technology. Things like mobile apps, which we're big proponents of. Obviously, we have a vested interest in that because we we have a mobile app called Guest Express that is doing gangbusters. It's doing it's really successful. The hotels that are using it, um, but that kind of technology too is great for the guest because not only does it give you as a hotel the opportunity to now communicate with your guest during the stay, but as a guest, they can receive value for you from you in the form of you know, discounts at the bar or, um, you know, offers to the spa, you know, things like that. So they can get value. They can also submit requests from the mobile app. That's convenient. That makes their life a little bit easier. So there's a lot of things mobile apps can do, including, you know, mobile check-in and keyless entry to the hotel room. So these are the kind of technologies that hotels should be looking at investing in because it just makes the guest's life better. But when we're looking at technology, we need to approach it the right way, right? It needs to be something that, that improves, enhances, not gets in the way. So there's a few few kind of rules that we look at when we're talking about technology. And one thing when you mentioned the app that is, is really nice about using an app for your guest is technology makes it easier and easier to not have a personal connection with your guests. Someone can go through, check, book, uh, book, check in, leave the resort and never talk to a person. But technology also makes it so much easier to create a connection to your guests, but you have to use it the right way with the app, you know, having a personalized push message or a little text message to that person saying, Hey, hopefully everything is okay at the property. Let us know. Here's the name of the person at the front desk and really going above and beyond you can still create that one-on-one connection that they'd get from 
a small innkeeper or, or an Airbnb at a big property by using technology smart. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's just an efficient way to be more hospitable, to be more personal, uh, or to at least give the appearance that you're making it more personal, right? Because technology allows you to personalize the content in the messages, things like that, trigger an automated message two hours after check-in for every guest. Every guest is going to appreciate that, but it doesn't take you any time because it's all automated. So it does come down to making it personal, making it frictionless. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much technology you have, there is no substitute for a friendly smile from an actual real person. So don't lose that human touch when you're going through this. True that. All right, so those are our th first three in, in our two-parter. So we're, next week, we're going to be talking about two more of the things that we think lead to why this is really and truly the year of the guest. Um, you can get the podcast, note, podcast notes from this episode at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 38. You guys have any, anything to sum it up or to take homes from this episode? Yeah, I mean, it, it is the year of the guest. You know, we've seen a lot of people move to Airbnb platforms, VRBO and other places. That has given the hotel industry a lot of great intelligence of how to better serve the guest the way they want to be served. So, you know, look at it as an opportunity, focus on what guests really want and deliver that for them. Exactly. And that kind of leads into to the two points. I'll tease it for next episode. So you guys have to listen to that as well. But the next two, the final two, one is loyalty and loyalty programs and how they've evolved. And the other one is our favorite thing here in the office, which is surprise and delight. So those are the things we're going to touch on in the next episode. And again, we're all focused on the guest in the year of the guest 2017. So before we go, though, I did want to um, say that we've been asking for reviews and we've been getting a handful. So, Pete, you want to do the honors and read one of our faithful listeners' reviews? Yeah, I mean, we've been asking for reviews for a while. I would it, say 38 whole episodes. We have. We've, we've had eight reviews up until uh, B. Nine. Jones. Well, up until. Oh, up until him. B. Jones 6767 decided to hit a home run for us and leave a review as well. So we want you to be just like B. Jones 6767 because this is what he had to say. And his review goes, even though the show focuses primarily on marketing for individual hotel properties, I think it is a must for anyone in the lodging space. I work with a medium-sized online travel agency, and this podcast has given me much better understanding of the hotel industry. If you're looking for hotel marketing tips and entertainment or I'm sorry, and entertaining industry news, check it out. It's an easy five star. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Awesome. 100 points for you, B. Jones. Thank you. Free internet points. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. We really appreciate that, B. Jones. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about our podcast. We hope that all our listeners do the same. So if you want to share the love, we are going to read out, we're committing to reading out any and all in their entirety any reviews that you guys leave so if you want to be funny or tell us a joke or um be mildly offensive to pete whatever you want to do in the <laughs> review leave the review on itunes and the best way to do that is to go to the uh, itunes store search fuel hotel marketing podcast click on it and there's going to be a link right there under reviews to, that says write a review if you do that leave us hopefully a five-star review but if, if you have feedback how we can get better we'd love to hear that too Leave a review, and we will read out your review on the podcast. It's can't say fairer than that. So, uh, where can they find you guys on the web, Pete? 
They can find me on Twitter at PDMAO, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. Misha. You can find me at Marketing Misha. That's at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively, as always, on Twitter at Fuel Travel. We would love to hear from you there and give us ideas on future episodes. You can get the notes for this episode at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 38. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Meow.